from my home studio. Welcome to Evolve, groundbreaking Jewish conversations. Maybe this is what has me being a Reconstructionist Jew in my mid-50s. I've never really given up my idealism about the possibility that government can be for the benefit of all. I'm your host, Brian Schwartzman, and today I'll be speaking with Mark Overbeck about his Evolve essay, Kaplan, Herzl, and the Current State of Israeli and American Politics. Now, Mark is a board member of Reconstructing Judaism who identifies as a progressive American Zionist. He wrote this essay in reaction to Israel's election back on November 1st with Benjamin Netanyahu's coalition um, taking a clear majority. We're, uh, we're recording this intro December 22nd. We spoke with Mark exactly one week ago on the 15th. And just about 12 hours ago, Netanyahu announced he'd actually formed uh, formed a government uh, throughout most of the interview. We, we talk about this as something that's going to happen. Unlike in past iterations of Netanyahu governments, this time Netanyahu and his Likud party is aligned with uh, several parties and individuals that have been described as extreme, racist, sort of beyond the pale. Um, the example most often cited is Itmar Ben-Gavir, who is the leader of the um, far-right uh, Otsma Yehudit party. Um, I mean, just really quickly, he's called Arab members of Israel's parliament uh, the fifth column and said Arabs should be expelled from Israel. Um, well reported until just a couple of years ago, he's displayed um, in his home a picture of Baruch Goldstein, who back in 94, gunned down 29 uh, Muslims worshiping in Hebron's Cave of the Patriarchs. Uh, a whole lot more could be said about uh, Netanyahu's coalition partners and some of the actions the new parliament appears set on taking. Netanyahu, for his part, is sort of telling the world uh, and, 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 and American allies, uh, don't, don't worry, trust me, I'll, I'll keep these folks in line, is sort of what, what he's been uh, what he's been saying, we'll, we'll share a recent NPR interview he gave in, in the show notes. A reminder, all of the essays discussed on this show are available to read totally for free on the Evolve website, which is evolve.reconstructingjudaism.org. The essays are certainly not required reading to listen and get a lot out of the show, but we certainly recommend checking them out for a deeper listening learning experience. Mark's Evolve essay draws heavily on the writings of Mordechai Kaplan and Theodore Herzl to frame his, his analysis. And so I just wanted to give you some bearings if those names are unfamiliar. Rabbi Mordechai Kaplan, who lived from 1881 to 1983, a, a good long life, was the intellectual founder of, of the Reconstructionist movement who had a um, big impact on American Judaism broadly. And he was he was a Zionist who spent a great deal of time in Israel. And, and rather than focus on the building of a political entity, he was concerned, yes, with a safe and secure home for Jews, but one that would serve as a wellspring of Jewish culture that would be in dialogue with Jewish communities from around the world. Theodore Herzl, who, who 
lived a much shorter life, 1860 to 1904, was an assimilated Jewish Austrian playwright and novelist who, in one of history's great twists, became the galvanizing force behind modern political Zionism. And he organized the first International Zionist Congress in 1897 in Basel, Switzerland. Tennis fans, any of you out there, that's also the birthplace of Roger Federer. Also, in naming people, we mentioned Robert Putnam, the prominent sociologist whose most famous book, Bowling Alone, details the decline in Americans' participation in voluntary organizations and what that means for democracy. Um, The short answer is it's not good. So there's a whole bunch of links we're putting up, resources in our show notes. You can find it at evolve.fireside.fm and look for this episode. Okay, let's get to our guest, Mark Overbeck. So Mark Overbeck, as I mentioned, serves on Reconstructing Judaism's Board of Governors. Reconstructing Judaism is the essential organization of the Reconstructionist movement and has twice served as president of Temple Beth Shalom in Salem, Oregon. Mark works for the Oregon Health Authority as Oregon's designated director of the state's primary care office. He works to expand health care access for rural and other underserved communities through a multi-million dollar program to expand the size and diversity of Oregon's healthcare workforce. He's also worked in the governor's office in Oregon and once served as a research assistant to former British Labor Prime Minister Gordon Brown. Mark Overbeck, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Brian. Absolutely. My pleasure. My privilege to be here with you. I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so whenever I sit down and, and make out a list of questions, I always I always have some version of where did this essay come from? And Sam Locks, who's uh, my 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 um, my editor partner behind the scenes, usually asks me to scratch it. But I think I think for this one, it really is an appropriate place to start. You're following the Israeli elections, you know, from afar, like millions of people throughout the world. Um, we, you've got your own busy schedule. The the American elections to follow, which came a week or two later, in the in the aftermath of of um, of these results, what 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 inspired you to write, sit and write um, a very, I think, a different and informative kind of piece about about the Israeli elections and and the context in which we're all living? Yeah, Brian, thanks for the question. I don't know when I when I started to write that I set out to accomplish anything. Um, it really was a a point. It was an it was an activity of, of combined inspiration, defiance, and angst. When, um, in fact, I was sitting at my computer uh, one evening in very early November, uh, on the cusp of the American midterm election, November eighth, and watching the results of the Israeli election, like many American Jews have been following, and seeing the results of the Israeli election for Knesset and thinking to myself, we are really headed in a direction that is not true to the values of Herzl or Kaplan. And I just started writing and writing and writing. And maybe a couple of hours later, 
I found that I had penned out this short essay that really captured what was in my soul in that particular moment. Before we get to the specifics, I mean, a little bit behind the curtains, you you and I have talked before where we're recording. And, and, and one of the things you said to me was, was if, if you have a perspective, especially on something as important as, as the future of Israel, you should, you should share it, whatever, whatever your background, um, because, because it's important because it, it, it builds to Israeli American dialogue, a Jewish Israeli dialogue. Can you, can you say anything more about, about that? Sure. And I, I think I think I'd share that with you, having found or maybe rediscovered my own passion for Zionism, which I'm happy to explain in a moment what I actually mean by that. Um, and I do mean Zionism in a very Kaplan-esque way, but rediscovered my own passion for it. Look, I, I'm an American Jew. I care deeply about the Jewish people. I care deeply about the state of Israel. I care deeply about democracy as an American and somebody who grew up as a progressive Jew. And I, I, I want to express myself. And as far as people having to agree with my particular perspective, they don't have to. But what became very evident to me is that that Jews, particularly American Jews, particularly um progressive American Jews, it really is incumbent on us to express our commitment, our aspirations, even, yes, our fears and angsts about Jewish peoplehood and the state of Israel. And I think, Brian, too many Jews are reluctant to do that. There's clearly a wave of of anti-Jewish bigotry that can make that really challenging to even identify as Jewish, to be willing to say, I stand with Israel, but let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, and I am very, very fervent that American Jews, whether they agree with the points in my essay, whether they disagree with those points, um, absolutely should be expressing themselves because that's part of the expression of Jewish peoplehood. Lot to lot to unpack there. I think. I think I want to I want to ask about about some of the some of the specifics. So we're we're talking in mid in mid December. Um, folks in the world will will hear this in a couple of weeks. You and I are talking as. It appears uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is expected to form a government. Another again, any day days. now, yes. Um, so, so he may likely will have already done so by the time we talk. Uh, what has your reaction been to, you know, developments since since the election? I mean, there's almost too many possibilities to mention. There's been talk of a high court over override law. There's there, there's been talk of a new. Ministry position just for the West Bank, uh, changing the law of return. It seems like taken together, it seems like a possibility for some major changes within, you know, within how Israel is governed. Even even as Prime Minister designate Netanyahu has has sort of said repeatedly, don't things aren't going to change that much. So I guess I'm that's a long winded way of saying what 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 has your reaction been as you followed events since the election, since you've, since you've written this essay. 
Yeah, well, uh, uh, a few a few things. Um, one is I I don't think it's really a surprise to any of us who've been watching that Netanyahu is going to form a coalition. I think that was pretty much a foregone conclusion, at least within a week of the Israeli election with the uh, um, election of 64 sure. members of the Knesset. Um, of course, I have watched, like many others, um, what what the new policy seemed to be, what um, concessions his new allies in the Knesset seem to be asking for and their own aspirations. And um, it's it's not lost on me that it's not too much different necessarily to the drama that's been playing out around the um, Republican Party's retaking of the House of Representatives in Congress and Kevin McCarthy, who intends to be the speaker, um, going to those who could help make him the speaker and and what concessions are they extracting from him and at the same time saying, oh, no, no, this is all under control and you know you don't have anything to be concerned about. I think that those of us who care deeply about democracy and the spirit and the um, face of Jewish peoplehood as represented by a government in power in Israel, I think we do have things to be concerned about for sure. And yeah, I've heard the, oh, no, no, Israel's a democracy. Um, nothing, nothing draconian is going to happen or nothing dramatic. But that's, that's not actually what's being said by many of the coalition partners in terms of, oh, yeah, we don't need these laws. For example, around if, if you've been convicted of a felony, it's, it's fine for you to be a minister. Or, yeah, we're going to give the police these additional powers, but don't be concerned about that. I think any, any thinking person ought to be concerned, certainly aware, and reflect on what does that mean for the character of the state of Israel. Just like those of us in America are concerned, okay, well, if the majority in the House of Representatives says this is now our position, or that this person who's been diametrically opposed to the rule of law is now chair of the House Oversight Committee or the House Judiciary Committee, what does that actually mean to the character of our government? I, I think the I think the possible comparisons are really striking. It was interesting. You addressed this point directly in your in in your essay, but I, I I've certainly heard when the political left says democracy's in danger, the side the side on the right says, well, you're just saying that because because you you lost. Like I've I've heard that repeatedly. So you you mentioned that in your in your essay, you've thought about it. Um, you know, how do you how do you respond when that when that comes up? Um, Brian, I, I was I was listening to the radio this morning and I heard a um, survey was conducted of of Americans. And what I heard was that the number one concern of Americans right now is inflation. We can understand that. I was I was surprised and not disappointed to hear that the number two concern was preserving democracy. I think that's the right concern for Americans. I think it's the right concern for Israelis of all religions and um, ethnicities to be concerned for. Uh, I think it was Winston Churchill who, who famously said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the other forms. And it's messy, representative democracy is messy, Pure democracy is probably chaos. 
And yeah, I can understand those who may wish to weaken what have been the traditional notions of representative democracy saying, oh, yeah, 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 you're just overplaying that. You're trying to scare people. I can understand that because that's how that's how that concern gets deflected is, oh, it's not a real concern. But I would say for those people who really do care about representative democracy around a liberal style self-determination of people to decide how they are going to together promote the welfare of a country, that is a real concern. And I was really delighted to hear that that's a concern apparently of a lot of people in America. I hope that's a concern of a lot of Israeli citizens. So you have a fair amount of experience in government, in politics, on in, 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 two, uh, in two countries. You, you worked with the Labour Party, I believe, in, in uh, Britain and, and, and had uh, interactions with Gordon Brown, who would later become uh, the, the last uh, or the most recent Labour Prime Minister of, of Britain, you've, of Great Britain. You've, um, you've worked for the governor of Washington State, and, you've, and you work in a position now where you frequently deal with folks across the the political spectrum. So I I guess I'm just wondering, what is your various, um, how has your various government um, experience shaped how you view and understand the Israeli political process? Um, sure. And, and by the way, uh, just a slight correction, it's, it's oh, of, Oregon, of, of, of Oregon. I'm, uh, oh, uh, yes, yes. Yeah. I, that's, that's the, yes. Uh, apologize for getting the state wrong. Um, no worries. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be a third generation Oregonian. My great grandparents, um, all traveled from Europe after the pogroms, um, mostly landing in the Pacific Northwest and one who came to New York and made their way over, from Ellis Island to the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. shortly after. But um, I, I, I really was both astonished, saddened, and um, kind of steeled in my vision when I worked as, as a young adult in the House of Commons as a research assistant to watch the goings on of the British parliament and to see what seemed to be so many members of parliament who had been elected by people to make a better life for them really treated as, as, as quite a game and many people quite dismissive of their constituents behind closed doors. And that was really intriguing to me. Um, And then coming back to my native state of Oregon, watching the members of the uh, the legislature deal with with politics and attempting to make a better life um, for the citizens of our state and our citizen legislature and really being quite proud of that while at the same time despondent about some of the very silly decisions that I, as a young adult, thought were being made. And then over the course of 30 years, Brian, as both somebody who's worked in a governor's office, worked in a legislature as a staffer, and worked largely in the bureaucracy. Um, I don't know, maybe this is what has me being a Reconstructionist Jew in my mid-50s. I've never really given up my idealism about the possibility that government can be 
for people. I've, I've had plenty of cynicism, a lot of skepticism. I've seen a lot that would argue for nothing's really going to be better, while at the same time understanding that many things actually are better. But you know, I'm one of those people who grew up with Schoolhouse Rock in the <laughs> 70s and 80s and learned, um, you know, learned We the People and the preamble to our nation's constitution. It is We the People in order to form a more perfect union and, uh, to paraphrase, establish domestic tranquility and the common defense. All of that have not left me as like a North Star for how government ought to operate. And that's for the benefit of all. And I absolutely see that in Israel, there are leaders, there are leaders in the Knesset who really do aspire to work for all. And unfortunately, as is, I just think the case in politics anywhere, there are those who like to be in office and will do what they feel that they need to do to stay in that particular position. I, I think it's incumbent on those of us who really do aspire to that vision for the benefit of all to realize that democracy, representative democracy is fragile. Now, Frank, Benjamin Franklin famously was reported to have said, in response to some kid asking, well, what form of government is it? It's a democracy if you can keep it. I think it was a republic, but yeah. A republic if you can keep it. Thank you. A republic if you can keep it. Um, but the no the, and, and the notion of self-determination for the benefit of all, which I think the founding of Israel was in honor of, the founding of the United States under its current constitution was founded in honor of. It takes work. Now, being Jewish takes work. Now, we have 15 million Jews in a world of 8 billion people, and it takes work. It takes work to be here in service of the continued evolving of the Jewish peoplehood as a religious civilization. It takes work to be Jewish. If, if you do that work in uh, an America that is not predominantly Jewish, particularly in these times. But, but the work, just like the work of continuing to stand for a representative democracy, to continue to stand for government that promotes the benefit of all, it's worth it. That was a lot. No, yeah, no, I was just going to say, I mean, there's all this, a lot's been written, um, socialist sociologist Robert Putnam and others, how, mm. how we're not, we're not volunteering at all as much as we used to Americans, yes. you know, we're not the society of de Tocqueville. We're not, yes. um, we're not sitting on those committees. I mean, I was uh, a couple of years ago, I was, I was on a sin, just a, a little synagogue committee, but you're, you're, you're making um, coming together to make a decision on, on behalf of a larger group of people. And just that little thing was, was work and it was messy, let alone running, yeah. running a country. But, but, I don't know. There's something about participating in little things like that that give you give you respect for the you know the decision making process where you don't you know you don't get everything you want, but you come together for for the common good. 
I think that's I think that's a great point, Brian. I had the opportunity to meet Robert Putnam actually. Um, oh wow! I don't know, maybe oh, 20, 25 years ago, um, af- after Bowling Alone was published, and I-, I totally agree with your point. I believe that coming together, participating in shared governance, is is self actualizing work, and and to me, that's that is much of the tragedy of the division in politics, whether it's in Israel or whether it's in the United States, that that self-actualization for our best selves, it just gets lost. See, it's, I mean, back to, back to something that you had asked earlier about my experiences, it's very easy to be cynical and decide that nothing is possible or to, um, you know, to, to curl up and say, I've got to protect mine. I've got to become part of my tribe and only for my tribe, America first or Israel. First. It's very easy to do that. Not much really pulls for mutuality. But, but who we are as human beings really wants to be expressed. I don't think it's any accident that the founder of modern Zionism Theodore Herzl wrote a utopian book about the Jewish state as a shared land where Arabs and Jews lived together in a thriving economy. There was no rancor. In fact, in the new old world that he he wrote, I think he was he was in his early 40s. It was shortly before his death. That was the the novel he wrote. As yes, the novel to the he wrote exactly. Uh, yeah, Jew, Jewish state. Yeah, I think that state didn't even have a standing army. Now, I would never go that far, but I don't think it's an accident that that the visionary who founded that the Jews have a valid aspiration to a homeland actually penned a novel that was utopian in its outlook for what could be. That was also on my list of of questions. Is is um. I might as well jump into it now is what inspired you to go back to these two particular sources? I think as a reconstructionist, it makes sense why you would go to Kaplan. Herzl's an inter- interesting choice. I mean, on the one hand, Herzl is certainly venerated in, in, in modern Israel. On the other hand, I've wondered like how much influence Herzl has on, on the modern state. I mean, he, I mean, he died very, you know, yep. very early 19, 1904. I mean, he was, he was, he was really, in many ways, a figure of of the 19th century. I mean, he even went so far as to suggest, um, you know, that 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 the Jewish state could be in Uganda. I mean, he definitely, um, and 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 was was definitely coming from a much less Jewishly immersed place than than you know some of the some of the state's founders, than the Heim Weitzmans, the David Ben Gurion. So I, I guess I was what. What made you go back to Herzl, and what? Because uh, it seems like you you have, and what what did um, what did you find in 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 his in his writings? And and he was he was a writer. He wrote a novel. He was a playwright. So he certainly yeah, al- had a almost, way with words. Yeah, almost all of his plays. Interestingly, I'm 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 a very very amateurish um, Herzl scholar, but I was I was also really um, surprised and delighted to see that almost all of his plays that he wrote were comedies. Um, only, only a little bit of drama, but I think Brian, why why I went back to Herzl is, um, you know, my my commitment to getting to the source of something, 
know, we, we toss around phrases like Zionism. And, and I actually was interested to set aside what I know about Zionism and go back to the source. It's like, okay, well, Herzl is seen as the founder of modern Zionism. Let's see what he actually had to say. And yes, you're right. His first idea was Uganda. Give, give, give Uganda to the Jewish people, um, Britain, as, as a home. And he died before um, uh, Palestine was held up as the answer. So he, he, he didn't have the opportunity to respond to that. We never know, I think, exactly how he would have responded to that. But it was important for me to go back to the source to see what could I discover. And as good reconstructionists, the past does not have a veto. It's not necessarily the case that, well, what Herzl said has to go. And certainly, I don't think it's gone. I don't think it has gone. I think um, you've made a point in some of our earlier conversations that Ben-Gurion had a vision for Zionism that, that was different than Herzl's. Okay, fine. But I think what I found, Kaplan and Herzl, really, really interesting in similarity and also difference. And Kaplan spoke passionately about Judaism as the religious civilization of the Jewish people. And Herzl, not so much in the, in, in the religiosity of it. But in terms of seeing a non-exclusive, or I'll say it the better way, inclusive opportunity for Jews to have a state, I think in that they, they share far more than, than they differ. Right, right. Um, yes, and just, just to clarify, a lot of the most prominent founders of, of the state of Israel were, were, were secular, they weren't religious, but they, <laughs> were, they came from an Eastern European tradition. They were much more steeped in, in, in Judaism and Jewish tradition, even if they rebelled, rebelled against it. That's, that's what, I, what I meant. Um, but um, I am wondering, I mean, you alluded to it earlier, you're, you're, an, you're an American Jew, you're, you're a leader of the Reconstructionist movement. What is, what is your, your personal Zionism engagement with Israel? What, is it, what does it look like? What do, you, what do you think of when you think of your Zionism as you, as you understand it? Yeah, Zionism for me is the commitment to the reality of a home for the Jewish people, a state where the Jewish people can be free from persecution, free from expulsion, free from harassment, from extermination, from forced conversion, where the Jewish people can be. That's Zionism. Zionism is that there can be the establishment and maintenance of a Jewish state. Um, for Kaplan, um, the establishment of a state was not in and of itself the goal, but really a step toward the success of the Jewish revival, which I also absolutely share. Now, as, as a good Reconstructionist, I really value taking our foundational documents, our work, our precepts, including those of Herzl, and repurposing those for life today. And from the question of 
what will vitalize the Jewish people? What will vitalize Jewish peoplehood? What will help the Jewish people fulfill on our intentions and aspirations? And having a secure, democratic state of Israel absolutely fits into that. There's, there's no two ways about that. My concern is that we have a state that may appear at one level to be secure, but is actually not. There may be a military security to it, but not a humanistic security to it. And I certainly have concerns about Israel remaining a fully representative democratic state. Rabbi Deborah Waxman, the leader of our movement, um, wrote, I think just this week, that, um, and, and she's visiting in Israel last month, and she saw firsthand what was happening in the country. And, and she wrote that what is unfolding in Hebron is the realization of an ethno-nationalist vision that's qualitatively different from security. I could not agree more. My view of Zionism is that Jewish people have a place to be secure, to be fully Jewish, to express their Jewish peoplehood in a secure way. I don't think that's happening right now. I don't believe that the military security measures that are being taken aggressively against other human beings support that outcome. So when, when I hear Zionism, I don't think, yes, a state for Jews only. I think a state where the Jewish people can be free and secure to express their Jewish peoplehood. And that's, that's, that's a different view from what the facts on the ground look like in many cases today. Okay, well, we have a couple seconds of your time. If you're enjoying this episode, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating or leave a review in Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to support these groundbreaking conversations of Evolve on the podcast, the websites, in our web conversations, there's a donate link in our show notes. Every gift matters. Thanks for listening and thank you for your support. All right, now back to our interview with Mark Overback. You, you mentioned Rabbi Deborah Waxman, who is the president and CEO of the organization I, I work for. So I don't, I don't want to quote her and get, get her wrong, but I've, I've heard her express frustration that, that there is often a human rights conversation about Israel and a security conversation about Israel. And they, they always happen on, 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 on different fronts and, 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 that that those two things aren't aren't informing each other enough, and and um, you know you could you could say there's there clearly are security threats to Israel. There 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 you know it seems like it's 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 hard to dispute. There are you know there is you know on 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 some systematic level injustice and and harm done. And how do you how do you find the balance? Um, I guess my if I had a question, it, it seems like right now the concern about Palestinian human rights is just not on the Israeli political horizon. It's not, it's not, it's, it's got a very small place in, in the dialogue um, for lots of reasons. Do, do you think, do we have, you know, as American Jews who, who care about 
Israel and democracy, or is there a role for us in trying to, I don't know, trying to do something about that, trying to influence the conversation? I, I don't know how much we're, we're, you know, we're, we're listened to. Well, there, there, there's a lot there. I'll, I'll start Brian with. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I, as a journalist, I'm supposed to ask quick, yeah. short questions, but I, I, I got carried away a little. That's okay. You're a reconstructionist journalist. I understand. <laughs> we have a lot of words. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I think for sure to one of your earlier questions, um, security, security, democracy, success, human rights, they have to go together. They, they, they can't be separate. And, you know, I, I think I probably share the views of, of many progressive American Jews when I express real concern about the human rights abuses that are happening. I, I, I absolutely do. The human rights discussion, in my view, can't be separate from security. It also can't be that, or should not be, that, well, we can't talk about Israeli security until Israel stops its human rights abuses. Those really are linked. The abuses that are happening, I'm not saying that it's a caused phenomenon, but I think anybody really looking can understand the correlation and the interconnection between a, a, a real sense of being attacked, persecuted, survival being threatened, and the need to lash out or the perceived need to lash out to try to prevent that, which is being, you know, foisted on the state of Israel. I, I, I get that. I think everybody needs to acknowledge that Jews have a right to exist. And I, I certainly understand that in the absence of that, it's hard to have a conversation for let's treat everyone with dignity and respect, but it's got to be a core principle. And, and to go back to my analogies and my looking at similarities between what's happening in America, what's happening in Israel, you know, although we don't have near the level of violence in the U.S., we've clearly seen an increase in the level of violence. And I think it's arising from the same type of of, of, of a source in a way. Now, it, it, it's not that there's political violence in America specifically because of anti-Semitism, although there is. But this notion of the other and this demonization of the other and who I see isn't me, that, that's the real tragedy. Now, there, there have been countries where you know, after a prolonged period of, of conflict, there have been like truth and reconciliation commissions that have been established for the purpose of a, of a national healing. And that may well be what's required in Israel for Arabs, Christians, Jews to be able to come together and share their stories and to have a safe space to say, look, you took my family's property, or to say, look, you took my daughter's life. That's, that's hard stuff. And 
in in our country, we're beginning, I think, to reckon with that kind of a dialogue required now with Native people and with Black communities, where now our history as a country has not been great in terms of whom has been demonized as the other and oppressed. So I've gotten a little far aside, I think, from where you began with security and human rights, but to bring it back, I think they're intricately bound up. We can't have real security until there's a shared understanding of what we're going to acknowledge and not acknowledge, a shared set of facts, and fine, you've got views about how this is, okay, great, but we're going to respect one another. And and that's that's what's missing. That was always a part of Herzl's vision as I was doing some scholarship and looking, and I, I put this in my essay about whether it's in Uganda, whether it's in you know, Israel-Palestine, the notion of other nations and peoples living alongside the Jews and security, that, that was the plan, and that's real security. We can't have real security with human rights abuses. We can't have real security with political violence as the norm. And, and that's something we've got to transform. And we can't do that by only focusing on one side of the equation over the other. There are, there, there, there's a growing number of, of certainly within the Jewish community of folks who are, are active, committed Jews, um, really care about, about social justice, who are mm. you know, really starting to question the idea, can you know, can can Israel and can Judaism and democracy coexist? You know, is Israel something we can place we can place hope in? Which you know, which 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 pains me as 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 somebody um, whose whose life has really been impacted by by my my you know my my time in Israel and the ideals I think for which it aspires to, but. You know, it seems like you you also share some of those ideals. So, so what do you say to 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 folks? Um, you know, within our movement, outside our movement, um, you know, with really good motivations, but but seem like they might be giving up on that idea of yeah. a Jewish and democratic state. Yeah. Well, as as I said in my essay, my my assertion is that. Um, Zionism and democracy really are interlinked. They're not mutually exclusive at all. Um, and I, I can really understand, and, and I have shared angst and, and, and real deep um, cynicism at times when an Israeli government makes policy that seems diametrically opposed to what's really in the Jewish people's interest, um, and certainly not in keeping with what a lot of American Jews would want from the state of Israel, I can understand that the feeling of a need to pull back. I can understand the cynicism because I've been there, like the resignation that, oh, well, now the Israeli government's going to do whatever it's going to do. The deep despair of how could the IDF kill all of these human beings and say it was necessary. I, I really do get it. I would say back though, it is more important than ever for Jewish peoplehood, that the circumstances of today and the, the, the pull to disassociate 
from that which seems hard, it's more important than ever that we not do that. That's why I said at the very beginning, I, I want every Jew, regardless of your ideology, to be passionate, expressed in your love for the Jewish people, your commitment and aspirations for a state of Israel, even if it looks like the government of the state of Israel is not, not meeting those right now. Okay, that's what's, that's what's happening. But I think a real threat, Brian, is if too many American Jews living outside of Israel become so disenchanted and let ourselves stay disenchanted and resigned, it will actually break the Jewish people. And that's, that's the opposite of what, what the Jewish state of Israel was for. It was not to create two kinds of Jews in the world, one living in the land and the other not paying attention, disenchanted, disaffected from the other group. Right. Now, that makes me think of, um, of the thinker a little bit later than, than, than Herzl, um, Asher, Asher Ginsberg, known yeah. as Ahad Ha'am, one of the people who who almost in Kaplanian terms talked about a cultural Zionism as as mm-hmm. the 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 Jewish community within within Israel serving as a spoke as a center that yes. inspires and dialogues with with global Jewry and that's that's the you know that's the ideal I don't know if we're, we're there but but it seems like um, I, I heard that a little bit in, in what you what you were saying I think I think that's one really important expression you know, th- there there are many Jews who consider themselves to be not religious, but very proud of a Jewish identity. And for them, it is largely cultural. And and, and it doesn't include a, a lot of spirituality necessarily in, in a religious or observant sense. I, um, I happen to be um, a somewhat observant Jew for a progressive Jew. Um, and I, I came to really have a reawakened spirituality and connection to, um, to, to my um, Jewish roots and um, religious practice in my late 20s. And I'm so grateful that I had that spiritual rediscovery. And it's part of what has me really be at home in the Reconstructionist movement, that that spiritual expression is welcomed as a possible expression and not outside the norm, even where um, many, many, many other Jews who identify as Reconstructionists may be completely secular. But the point is not, you know, do you cover your head when you go here? It's not, do you abstain from eating certain foods? It's, can we identify together as part of a Jewish peoplehood? And how do we continue to perfect and evolve and co-create what it is to be Jewish uh, in society today? As we're, as we're winding down, I think I wanted to bring us bring us back to politics. Um, right. <laughs> I think that's, that's a line from, uh, from the show Hamilton. Can we get back to politics, please? Um, yeah. We just had a year, year and a half of a, of a, a wide ranging anti Netanyahu coalition. The first, mm-hmm. the first majority Arab, Arab party and Israeli government um, as a, as a government person, did you see that year and a half as, as, you know, as hope for what can be, was it, was it, was it just a mess? I mean, we know that, we know that um, the opposition, you know, really exploited its fault lines to, to bring it down. But did that, did that point to anything? Is there any, anything to hang hope onto or, or 
I'm wondering as, as, as somebody with, with your government experience, what you, what you made of that experiment? Sure. A, a few things I'll, I'll touch on, Brian. Thanks for asking that. Um, first of all, I, I really was delighted by the, the coalition that came together as, as an expression of what could be, particularly seemingly getting rid of a, uh, a powerful, may I say, authoritarian figure leading a government for a long period of time. I'm, I'm somebody who falls less on the, on the side of quote-unquote security and more on the side of um, individual expression, experimentation, um, messiness. I, I think that authoritarianism is ultimately very, very dangerous for the well-being of a people and the expression and celebration of, of differences. Um, we've, we've just had too many historical experiences to, I think, think anything else. And yet people do long for security in a way and often seem to try to find that in, in authoritarian or autocratic leaders. Um, and, 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 and it was, you know, trust, Trust, trust not. And Kaplan said, "Trust, trust not in in people, but you know, trust not in powerful leaders to help us do everything, but but trust in ourselves and our interactions." So, I was really delighted that after a very very long period with one person at the helm, um, that it looked like Israel was ready for something else. Now we just had the election where it seemed like oh. Maybe it wasn't so bad under the old days. We'll watch that play itself out the way it does. And my hope is that the Israeli people really will recommit themselves to a pluralistic, non-authoritarian form of governance. And by the way, I think it's, it's harder to have hope in government now, but it's far more important to have hope in government now, to return to a theme. In, in the US, we've seen, I think, a kind of similarity play itself out where those on the right have said, oh, the left is all a mess. They're trying to take all of your rights away. We need to secure our rights in the form of you know, one or two or three important figures who are going to protect it for all of us. And I, I don't think many people on the left believe that line, but apparently enough people do. I was reflecting, I think yesterday, that you know maybe in, in this country, the last three elections, uh, the 2018 midterm election, the 2020 election, the 2022 midterm elections, actually representative democracy may be actually springing back and we're going to have some setbacks in Israel. Uh, people just elected a government that arguably does not look more democratic than the one that preceded it. But again, Kaplan said Judaism is the evolving religious civilization of the Jewish people. I'm inclined to believe and certainly hope that while, while representative democracy may undergo some seeming setbacks over the course of history, 
there is actually an arc that goes toward self-determination, toward self-actualization. I'm, I'm, I'm old enough and I've been around long enough to know that it, you don't always get the results that you want in any election. And I've seen, I've seen real impact in government, in the bureaucracy, where you have somebody who has a very different notion of what government should and should not do. And I've seen real impacts on people. Now, when, when we limited property taxes dramatically in our state in the early 1990s, the governor-elect said, kind of infamous, infamously, people will die. And she was laughed at and she was scorned. But in fact, she was right. Government, when it's oriented to providing for the common defense, for promoting the general welfare, can help us all be our best selves. We now have a new Israeli government, or we're about to have a new Israeli government, or by the time that people listen to this, we probably will have a new Israeli government. We should not give up just because one election went a certain way on the very ideals to which we aspire, that there can be in the Middle East a land where Jews, Arabs, Christians, others can live together and prosper together. Mark Overbeck, thank you. Thank you so much for the conversation. It was wonderful to have you as a, as a guest. Thank you. Thank you, Brian, so much for the opportunity. I think, I think I will just close with, you know, one of maybe Hartzell's most famous lines that if, if you will it, it's, it's not a dream. That as, as long as we can still speak the possibility of a Jewish state where all can live in security, it's not a dream. It may seem far off, but it's available and possible. So thanks for the opportunity for me to come and speak with you about something I've just become very, very passionate about for the future of the Jewish civilization. Hope to do it again someday. Hope to meet you in person off the Zoom screen and uh, safe, uh, safe travels. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to our interview with Mark Overbeck. So what did you think of today's episode? We want to hear from you. Evolve is about curating meaningful conversations, and that includes you. Send me your questions, comments, feedback, whatever you got. You can reach me at bschwartzman at reconstructingjudaism.org. And don't worry, we'll be back soon with a brand new episode. Evolve, Groundbreaking Jewish Conversations, is executive produced by Rabbi Jacob Staub and edited by Sam Walks. Our theme song, Ilofinu, is by Rabbi Miriam Margols. This show is a production of Reconstructing Judaism. I'm your host, Brian Schwartzman, and I will see you next time.